0: Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Wednesday the 30th of September and she doesn't leave the Canberra bubble very often but when she does, she comes straight to The Briefing bubble. Annika Smith-Hurst <laughs> is with me face to face in the studio. Hello. Hello. Well, you all have
1: COVID here, don't you? It's very unsafe. <laughs> hotspot.
0: <laughs> Sydney, the whole of Sydney is still a hot spot. Um, thankfully not. Today's briefing topic, uh, we're looking at private schools after last week's muck-up day scandal. A former student of Shaw in Sydney calls for change in elite private schools.
2: What's the culture of a school and what are the attitudes of the boys within it, particularly as these are meant to be boys on the cusp of adulthood?
0: That story in just a moment. First, let's get into the big news of the day.
2: First,
1: an exciting proposal from Prime Minister Scott Morrison, especially for people living overseas or anyone dreaming of ever going overseas again. He says our National Health Committee is looking at a plan to let international travellers from certain countries quarantine at home.
0: Whether it be New Zealand or parts of the Pacific or places like South Korea or Japan or countries that have had, I think, a much a high-rated success, then there are opportunities to look at those alternative methods of triaging, if you like. That is the news we all want to hear, isn't it, Annika? Home quarantine is so much better than hotel quarantine. Well, the food at least, I guess. <laughs> well, hopefully. depends on how, how well you cook. In my house, definitely better. Um, the travel bubble with New Zealand has also been talked about in the sort of positive light. we'd like to hear. Um, It could be a reality by Christmas. Uh, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern confirming Australia is happy with her country's progress. She's also open to a hotspot system here. It is possible. Again, what we would need to be assured of is that when um, Australia is saying, OK, we've got a hotspot over here,
3: that the border around that hotspot means that people aren't able to travel into the states where we are engaging within trans-Tasman travel.
1: The good news just keeps coming because Western Australia is also relaxing its border rules, although only slightly.
0: From Monday, Victorians who managed to get an exemption to travel to WA won't have to pay for mandatory hotel quarantine if they've got somewhere suitable to stay in a private
1: home. And restrictions on entering from New South Wales have been pared back to match the other states.
2: We can make these adjustments to our border controls because of the positive results we've recently seen over east. We have a responsibility to ensure our border controls are appropriate and reasonable.
0: That's the WA Premier, Mark McGowan. Uh, he did reiterate, though, that the strict border controls uh, won't stop anytime soon.
2: This is an important step forward, but we are not ready to announce any date whatsoever on bringing down the borders with the East.
0: All right, mate. We get it. We get it. You're tough on borders. This app's quite interesting they're proposing in WA.
1: Terrifying, if you ask me. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
0: Um, Yeah, the idea, it's called the G2G app, and basically it lets police check on people in home quarantine using facial recognition, mobile data, and pin location. I read that basically you have to be able to send back a picture within five minutes of them calling you.
1: Yeah, that's what we home. want. We want everybody to know where we are, the government, all the time. I'm fully supportive of that.
0: Surveillance state. <laughs> yeah, do you think we are going to accept too many of these sort of, uh, I guess, measures when they're traded off against our freedom?
1: I feel there's a bit of a tipping point coming and then people aren't going to be happy with that sort of level of surveillance. I certainly wouldn't be.
0: And heavy rain, storms, floods and tropical cyclones. Doesn't that sound like the perfect end to... What a weird year this has been.
1: (laughs) A La Nina has formed in the Pacific Ocean and the Weather Bureau's Dr Andrew Watkins says the East Coast is in for a soggy summer.
0: That tends to favour rainfall and cloudiness near Australia. It tends to favour more rain and some cooler temperatures over the coming months.
1: This also means more tropical cyclones than usual and more flooding. But Dr Watkins can see at least one silver lining.
0: La Nina, with a bit of extra rainfall, hopefully will keep those fires a little smaller, a little shorter than what we've seen in recent years. So reduces the bushfire potential a little, but doesn't extinguish it completely. Yeah, so that's good news, um, lowering the bushfire risk. Also great news for our farmers who finally had a good year Um, The drought has been breaking throughout this year in lots of parts of Australia, which is fantastic news. Uh, The last time we had a La Nina was in 2010-2011 and that caused our wettest two years on record. This one isn't expected to be quite as strong as those years.
1: As someone planning a wedding in the new year, just what you want to hear, (laughs) wetter than average.
0: And today, Donald Trump and Joe Biden will face off in the first presidential debate in Ohio.
1: Now, one of the biggest talking points will be the president's taxes, Earlier this week, the New York Times published a report claiming Donald Trump hadn't paid tax for 10 of the last 15 years, and that he only paid $750 the year he was elected president. It's
2: totally fake news. Made up, fake, uh, totally fake news. No, actually, I paid tax.
1: Actually, he paid tax. (laughs) Yeah, the context here is that the president has been promising to release his taxes for years, but hasn't. He's the only serving president not to do so. Joe Biden released his returns several hours ago.
0: Yeah, I I don't think the revelations from the New York Times are going to make a huge difference to the election though, because we already knew that Trump did everything he could to minimise his taxes. He admitted that in last election's presidential debate.
1: Yeah, it's something that's uh, been played in Australia, that line a few times too. Rich people minimise their tax, who knew? It's something that us you know, punters do too. So I think there is an element of aspiration there, where people don't seem to care that much because they understand the idea of depreciating value. He also does donate all of his salary.
0: It was interesting to see the detail in those tax returns and and see some of the strange elements to his business. And there there, there are some legitimate question marks about some of the figures, like the way um, he reportedly pays his daughter consulting fees. <laughs> but for people that support Trump, I can't imagine this being the turnoff point.
1: No, I don't think so either. I think they've made up their mind. If they like him, they like him. Any little information about his taxes and how he minimises it isn't going to get him off him.
0: It will be interesting to see um, what happens when they debate the coronavirus. Clearly, that is a weak spot for Donald Trump.
1: Absolutely. The death toll continues to rise over there, and this one's going to really hurt him, especially the economic effect of some of the restrictions over there.
0: All right. Thanks, Annika. We'll catch you tomorrow. Jamila's about to jump into the studio as we talk about the private school markup day scandal. Hey Jamila? Yeah? Uh, if you had a spare $30,000 a year, how would you spend it?
3: Oh, uh, parents of Year 12 kids at Shaw Sydney, I reckon Tom might be asking themselves that same question.
2: One of Sydney's elite schools, Shaw, has been rocked by outrageous plans among some Year 12 students.
3: The plan is a series of challenges which would see school leavers earn points. Like get arrested and handcuffed, take ecstasy or snort cocaine, spit on a homeless man, have sex with an older woman. Shaw
0: headmaster Dr Timothy Pedersen said any student found to be involved in any of the acts could be expelled. The Shaw School has blamed a small group of students. The Shaw Grammar School claims to produce responsible young men. Yeah, if you've been spending 30000 a year and that's where your child ended up doing stuff like that, you'll be pretty uh, concerned and maybe asking where your money went. Um, there's been plenty more scandals like this in the past, um, not only at elite boys' schools, but also at university colleges. And this scandal's reopened some of the debates around um, the problems with the private school system, like elitist attitudes towards people less fortunate than yourself or unhealthy outdated attitudes towards women.
3: So here on today's briefing, we're asking what is actually going on inside of some of Australia's most expensive schools? What kind of culture is being promoted? And are the high marks, fancy uniforms and big gymnasiums really worth it?
0: Yeah, one interesting voice that stood out in this debate uh, is that of Rob Sturrock. He's a former student of Shaw, and he says he won't be sending uh, his boys there.
3: He's also written a book called Man Raises Boy, a revolutionary approach for fathers who want to raise kind, confident and happy sons.
0: Rob, thanks so much for joining us on the briefing. This challenge book, these markup day antics have have sparked a big conversation about private school culture, particularly boys' school. Do you think we can really learn a lot just from one markup day challenge? Do you think it really reveals a much deeper issue? I think it is reflective
2: and i think the question we should be asking the first instance is what's the culture of a school and what are the attitudes of the boys within it particularly as these are meant to be boys on the cusp of adulthood right you know year 12 students about to go out into the big wide world i mean that list was something that was so extreme in a way even from my time at the school which is partly why i was so concerned is that how in the last 20 years has the culture progressed to a point where that list is coming into being? And look, maybe it was just meant to be, you know, an offensive, shocking amount of jokes and, and yeah. innuendo. Even that's bad enough. But, you know, even if a handful of boys think about carrying out that list, well, then that's something that, you know, the school and the school community, they, you know, there's a community here too of parents uh, need to be looking at.
3: So, Rob, you don't think it was as bad in your day when you were at high school?
2: I think so. Look, I think some of it, um, I wouldn't have been surprised if boys were trying to do some of those acts, right? Particularly around things like drug taking or being obscene on public transport. Like that says, you know, that's kind of what, you know, teenage boys that are in a pack might egg themselves on to do. What I found more extreme and spoke to something beyond my experiences was when they were talking about, you know, the predatory behaviour towards women and young girls, like daring each other to do um, physical assault to, you know, people walking by on the street. That <laughs> spoke to a to me a, a nastiness I hadn't even seen, which is why I was worried, right, that maybe this culture that I've, you know, written about and spoken about has actually gotten a little bit worse, um, which is why you're starting to see more extreme examples emerge. And look – I really do think Shaw and the other schools should do a review of their culture because that will help get to the heart of it, right? Like is it just, you know, the quote-unquote couple of troublemakers that don't represent the rest of the year, the rest of the school, or is it something more? But I think, yes, some of those, those tasks were just shocking no matter how you want to cut it.
3: What does this say about what we're teaching these young men about masculinity? When you look at this bucket list, so to speak, it's got all of these really sexist gendered items on it. Are we teaching these kids how to be the kind of men we want them to be?
2: Yeah, and and this is where I've got my sort of deepest um, concerns is I think it reflects all those wrong, outdated, and now offensive messages about what being a man is all about. It smacks to me of that stereotypical, quote unquote, real man. You know, he's strong, he's in control of his surroundings, he's fearless, he can tell offensive jokes and if people don't laugh, well then it's their fault. Uh, He can kind of corral others into taking action for him uh, and he runs with the pack. You know, there's a lot of research that shows that that real man trope is still out in the community. It's everywhere and it would be within this school as well. And I think it shows that there really is the wrong messaging around what being a man is about. You know, where is the need to take responsibility, the need to be respectful of others, to be mindful of your circumstances, to treat people with equality? Uh, You know, that list does not reflect those values. Now, again, the school should be getting to the bottom of it to see. Where are those messages going to arrive? If the school is giving the right messages, if there are the right messages, as they may claim, about masculinity, well, then why are these sorts of lists and these sorts of incidents boiling over?
0: Well, Rob, you've written that you won't be sending your kids to shore, but I wonder how much a school can really change a culture around this kind of behaviours when inherently because of the cost of going to this school, you get a group of people from just one part of society, a very wealthy part of society. So there's a lot of commonalities in their backgrounds that they don't share with other people. So no matter what the, the messaging or, you know, the intelligent, nuanced sort of education they may offer from the teachers and the mentors in the school, there's always going to be a disconnect between a group of people of this nature and other parts of society, no matter what you do.
2: Yep. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think this um, speaks to this deeper structural problem around these you know self-proclaimed elite private schools. You know, they can pick and choose the students they want. We are all fairly aware of, of how they get chosen. Um, you know, there's an enormous, you know, cover charge to get in the door at those schools. And, yeah, you get a broadly homogenous group um, from the same backgrounds thinking the same way that reinforce their beliefs in one another. And I think it's a really valid question. Is that really fitting and appropriate for those sort of schools in the 21st century Australia that we live in? Uh, you know, again, these, a lot of them, and my old school is no exception. They're religious schools. You know, they that gives them uh, a capacity to decide the terms on which students come and to filter the students that come in that school gate So I think this diversity question and their relevance to our community is an important one. And I do hope we as a community keep discussing that at the time being.
0: So what do you think the solution is? Clearly, these schools don't help us move to a more equal society because by the the nature of the cost, only a certain group of people can go. So are you saying we shouldn't have them? Anymore because that seems to be a fairly illiberal approach. If people want to do that and can afford to send their, their children to an elite school that has amazing sporting facilities and can pay more for the better, you know, can pay higher salaries and attract a higher quality of, of, of teachers, why shouldn't they be able to do that?
2: Yeah, look, I think step one um, to this is this and the other schools that are implicated in these markup day sagas. They need to commission independent reviews into the culture to understand what is being taught or absorbed by the boys in the community. And for the sake of those boys that are still there and are still going to the system and the thousands that are on waiting lists, um, still to go into those schools. I think that's step one. Step two, uh, and this has been pointed by a lot of people, right? My old school and those counterpart schools in the elite private school system receive taxpayer money. Uh, That is not right. I, I cannot... I cannot see if you had a proper needs-based system, why my old school charging over 30,000 a year for year 12 should be receiving taxpayer money. I think we should be looking at that. I think that's an important part of the conversation. And getting back to what we were talking about before about um, uh, diversity and its connections to the community. You know, we need to look at what are these schools, what are their responsibilities to our wider community? You know, our state schools have, you know, very clear responsibilities to their states and to their communities. Can we say the same about these private schools? Should they have um, more accountability, more transparency and more responsibility to the rest of society, or should we allow them to operate in their enclaves? You know it's one thing if people want to pay the money and we have an education market, they want to send their kids there fine. Mm. but are these schools really being held? to the same level of accountability and appropriateness that we demand of our state schools. I think that's a a really important conversation.
0: The the public money is a really interesting question, isn't it, Jamila?
3: It's definitely the political hot topic, that's for sure. I, I want to ask Rob about gender segregation. We've talked a lot about these schools being elite and kids coming from really rich socioeconomic backgrounds. But does the fact that these are gender segregated schools play into the problem too?
2: I think so. And I think it would make major difference um, to the healthy development and personal growth of these young men. And again, I talk as someone that was in that system, we received no real uh, pastoral care around gender equality, about how to talk and engage with women respectfully. And we really had no interaction with female schools at all in my time. Now that's just not healthy. That is an artificial construct. That's not how the real world is set up. Uh, and I don't think it lets young men be the best they can be and to understand the world around them. So I think if you have a co-ed campus or you know, there are some schools out there where you have single sex classrooms for a lot of the time, but you have a co-ed campus. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. I think it really is healthy for young men to be around women, to learn boundaries, to learn respect, to learn tolerance and equality by living it in a school community.
0: Just lastly, what are you going to do with your own children? Will you send them
2: to a different kind of private school or a public school? Perhaps we'll look at private schools, but it's certainly not going to be that sort of elite GPS system or anything like that. There might be some you know, good local middle of the range private schools, but really we would love to see our kids go to a place where they get a range of... Of people in their classrooms they get a range of activities and experiences that do genuinely make them well-rounded individuals so we'll be looking for a school that really lets out kids see all the different parts of what modern life is like and I think that will really help them prepare to be an adult
0: would you mind that they maybe wouldn't get as higher UAI or they might not make as powerful social connections do you even care about any of that
2: look I completely reject the sort of the quote-unquote old boys network as a way to advance in the world. I'm hoping, I really do hope, that that's part of a bygone era. Um, the right social connections, my wife and I do not care about that at all. From the research I've seen, personally, if you're loving parents, if you're engaged in their education, if you help them think about what they want their future to be on their terms, then they're going to do great no matter what school they're at.
0: That was Rob Sturrock, a former Shaw student and author of a book called Man Raises Boy. And I thought, Jamila, that point was really interesting about public funding because, sure, I guess you're not going to somehow ban private schools. Um, you know, it's a free society. People have the right to send their children to whatever sort of school they, they want. But when taxpayer money is funneled in at such high rates, that's a whole nother question.
3: I think you're dead right, Tom. Private school funding's actually grown 15 times faster than public school funding has over the past decade, and an extra $4.6 billion of taxpayer money is set to be pumped into non-government schools over the next decade.
0: Yeah, right. Okay. And I guess there's the performance question as well, and we touched on that with Rob. And when we actually looked at the research, we found out that if you equalise on socioeconomic status, then the education outcomes are roughly similar private to public. So I guess that leaves the the obvious question, where will you be sending your son, Jamila?
3: It's a big call, Tom, and lucky he's only five. I've got a bit of time to think about it, but I'm just hanging out for that Hogwarts letter.
0: (laughs) Tomorrow on The Briefing, the backstory of Lawyer X. A Podcast One
2: production.